Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We've been uh, working our way here through Ephesians, uh, this uh, passage concerning spiritual gifts. And in particular, this passage in Ephesians teaches us about the maturity that comes about from when certain spiritual gifts are used within the context of the local church. And uh, when that happens, the body is built up. It's, it, there's a maturing process that takes place. And if you recall our definition of spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are channels by which God's grace comes to the church for the purpose of edifying the believer, maturing the church, and glorifying God. And the end result of that maturity, as you'll see over the next uh, couple of weeks, and we'll look at here uh, in Ephesians 4.16, as uh, what he tells us, from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's the result of uh, all of that. So here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Be equipped so you can minister to the body and build it up. Be equipped so you can minister to the body and build it up. So let's take note of a few things here uh, in our text that we're going to be looking at here in Ephesians uh, 4, 11 through 13. Number one, Christ has given some certain gifts. So we're talking about spiritual gifts here. There's different passages in uh, God's Word that talk about the different gifts. Some of those gifts overlap uh, in some of the passages. But uh, here in Ephesians 4.11, he's talking about certain spiritual gifts that have been given to the church. And so Christ has given some certain gifts. Here's what he says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, your translation may read pastors, and teachers... Now, Paul here coming on the previous truth, right, on the heels of that previous truth that he's just taught about the resurrected, ascended Christ. Remember that? He's, he's resurrected, he's ascended, he's a victorious warrior. He's throwing out the spoils of war. Remember that? He has given gifts to the church. And that's what he's talking about here. So he's distributing these gifts. And he tells us some of these gifts are certain gifts. They, they've been given to the church, now, these gifts that Paul lists here are different ways that the Word of God is taught and given. So, if we desire maturity in the body, God will use those within the church with these gifts to equip you. Okay? Some see five gifts here, while others only see four by combining the gifts of uh, pastor-teacher as uh, one gift. But what's interesting to note is that each one of these gifts center around the Word of God. The Word of God is foundational to a mature body and a healthy church. When the Word of God is diminished, or when the Word of God is not central in the church no longer, the church becomes very weak and it starves. So it's very important that the Word of God is being proclaimed, right? Because this is how God equips us through those who teach the Word, okay? 
So let's look at each of these gifts that are used to equip the saints. Here they are. Number one, we have apostleship. It says the Lord gave some, or gave the apostles, right? The Lord gave some the spiritual gift of apostleship. Now, as mentioned before, there's a difference between the office of apostle and the, and the, and the gift of apostleship, okay? Apostle means sent out one. It's used of the 12 apostles appointed by Christ along with the apostle Paul. These men had seen the risen Christ. You saw those in uh, Acts uh, 1, 21 through 22, 1 Corinthians 9, 1, and also 1 Corinthians 15, 7 through 9. They were commissioned directly by him, Mark 3, 13 through 14, Galatians 2, 7 through 8. The Lord gave them the ability to perform miracles as an authentication of their apostleship, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. He gave them authority to establish the church and to build it up. Ephesians 2.20 and also 2 Corinthians 10.8. Their inspired and authoritative writings constitute the bulk of the New Testament epistles, as seen in 2 Peter 3.15-16. And so because their role and qualifications were unique, when they died, there were no legitimate successors. Uh, the Mormons actually believe that the Apostle John is still alive. Right? It's kind of weird, right? I mean, how old would he be? Pretty old, right? I'm sure he qualifies for the senior citizen discount now, right? So Paul here, okay, is not listing offices in this text. He's listing the gifts. He's not talking about the office of apostle. He's talking about the gift of apostleship. And so as I mentioned before, that the gift of apostleship, I believe, still continues, there are those who are sent out by the local church to blaze new trails, to take the word of God to new areas and unreached people groups. But we don't call them apostles today. What do we call them? Missionaries. Okay. Here's the second one, prophecy. The Lord gave some the spiritual gift of prophecy. Along with the apostles, the New Testament prophets laid the foundation of the church, as we saw in Ephesians 2.20. This term is a bit more difficult to define, and there is some disagreement on if this gift is still in use today. We talked about this a few weeks ago uh, with the difference between cessationism and continuationism, right? Cessationists believe that certain sign gifts have ceased. Uh, continuationists believe that all the gifts are still in use today. And uh, the New Testament prophets receive direct revelation from God which they gave to the church. Sometimes they predicted the future, but at other times they expounded on revelation already given. Uh, some of those, acts, uh, some of those uh, scriptures, if you want to jot them down, you can see about this. It's in Acts 11, 27 through 28. Acts 11, or excuse me, Acts 13, 1. Acts 15, 32. Also 1 Corinthians 14, 3. And also 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25, and also 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 32. And so we must be careful here, because what is and should be our sole authority? Should it be our feelings? Should it be our circumstances? What should be our sole authority? The Word of God, always. And so when we talk about prophecy, the word of God should be foundational uh, to that. And so sometimes we have people who claim to be prophets and want to give us new truth. They want to give us new revelation. 
The scripture, however, is sufficient enough for us. It always is, always will be, okay? We don't have new scripture that's being written, right? Uh, we, don't, we don't need somebody to give us the new word, you know, that, that hasn't been given, right? Uh, we, we have God's word on those things. Now, despite what we feel or think, the scripture should and always be sufficient. As you recall, when we were going through understanding the basics of the spiritual gifts, I had mentioned that I believe the gift of prophecy is still in use today, uh, in the form of foretelling, not foretelling. Foretelling is properly diagnosing a person or a situation and proclaiming an authoritative word from God that instructs or exhorts based on Scripture. In other words, speaking Scripture into a person's life or situation. Foretelling will never go against Scripture, i.e., God told me to tell you to do something that is unscriptural. You know, I got a feeling, you know. I got a word from, you know, God that I need to tell you about, you know, and it completely goes against Scripture, okay? Then we have this one, evangelism. The Lord gave some the spiritual gift of evangelism. The apostles and prophets gave us the word of God by direct revelation. The evangelists proclaimed the word as it relates to people's need for salvation, this word evangelist is used two other times uh, in the New Testament text as describing someone who has this gift. We see it in Acts 21.8 and also 2 Timothy 4.5. However, the word is also used 54 times to mean to proclaim the gospel, and it's used 76 times to describe good news or gospel. All believers must proclaim the gospel. Evangelists, however, are those with a special gift to do so. Uh, we used to have, uh, maybe you've seen this or heard of this before, you know, it'd be like, oh, we're going to have evangelist so-and-so come in. And really, you know, evangelist so-and-so, all he does is he makes his circuit, you know, in the, in the uh, colder months, he's down in the, the states of Florida, right? And he's got like five messages and they're really polished and, you know, he preaches those. And like, oh man, wow, what an evangelist, right? No, that's not an evangelist, okay? An evangelist is one that is able to proclaim the gospel and do it very well, okay? Sometimes these people are very uh, geared in, in apologetics, right? They know how to, to do debates and stuff like that. So the Lord has gifted certain people to be able to do that. So even though all of us are, are supposed to be proclaiming the gospel, evangelists are those with a special gift to do so. I believe they can be a huge help to the church to help instruct and challenge other believers in effective ways of sharing Christ. Then we have this one, four separately, or five separately, or four and five together, uh, depending how you look at it. So you either have shepherding and then teaching, or shepherding and teaching. So the Lord gave some the spiritual gift of shepherding, and the Lord gave some the spiritual gift of teaching, or the spiritual gift of shepherding teaching. Uh, some see the one gift as uh, combined, or others see them uh, separate. Now, your translation may read pastor here. Okay, the ESV uses the word shepherd. Same word, it's used interchangeably. Now, I want to try to clear up some confusion that is, I believe, propagated uh, in, in the church, uh, in church tradition. Uh, the word pastor means one who shepherds. The word is translated as pastor, shepherd, only one time here in Ephesians 4.11. Now, we do find it, however, used in speaking about Jesus being a shepherd at least 12 times throughout the gospel accounts. 
However, we do find also a different way the word is used as it relates to what shepherds are supposed to be doing. Basically meaning to tend as a shepherd or feed. Uh, we find this in, New, in the New Testament three times. Acts 20, 28, 1 Peter 5, 2, and John 21, 16. Now what's interesting about those times it's used is that it is used in connection with a certain office of what they were supposed to be doing. So for example, in John 21, 16, Jesus is speaking to Peter, who is one of the apostles. He's holding the office of one of the apostles. And Jesus specifically tells Peter, feed my sheep, pastor my sheep. So what, is, what happens to the day of Pentecost, right? I believe Peter gets endowed with the spiritual gift of shepherding and what does he do? He's doing teaching, right? He is shepherding uh, the church there. He's shepherding people. Later, uh, we see in uh, Acts 20, uh, 28, and also 1 Peter 5, 2, elders are commanded to shepherd or pastor the flock. So the elders should be using their spiritual gift of pastoring or teaching in connection with their office. There is no official office of pastor. You don't find it. The only time you see that word is in Ephesians 4.11, and it's talking, remember, about spiritual gifts. God's word is clear that there is the office of elders, bishops, overseers, however you want to look at that, and office of deacons, and there are qualifications for both of those. So it's my understanding that one can have the spiritual gift of shepherding and teaching and not be an apostle or an elder. However, on the flip side of that, I do believe that God does give the spiritual gift of shepherding and teaching to the elder since they are required to use them in Acts 20, 28. Uh, we, we see there that uh, Luke is writing and he tells us basically, while well, Paul is speaking, and he says to the Ephesian elders, he says, shepherd the flock, right? Tend the flock. You need to, to be feeding and tending and taking care of the flock. He's commanding them to actually do the work of a shepherd. Uh, then and also there in 1 Peter 5, uh, when Peter is writing, he says, as a fellow elder, he says, shepherd the flock that is among you. And so we see that, that I believe that those that are in the office of an elder, they are given the spiritual gift of shepherding and also of teaching because they are also required to teach. So because of the office of elder there, because of the confusion with these spiritual gifts and equating them with the office of elder, many people who may have these gifts of shepherding or teaching think that they can be an elder when they are not qualified according to Scripture. There are some women who can teach and are very good at leading, but that does not mean that they are qualified to be an elder in a church. However, these gifts can still be used greatly and should be used by others who are not in church leadership as an elder. So is Paul talking about a spiritual gift here or an office? He's talking about spiritual gifts. Remember the context? It says that Jesus gave gifts, right? We're talking about the gifts. He doesn't all of a sudden just switch over to offices and then back to gifts. No, he's talking about gifts. He's giving gifts. And so pastor is a spiritual gift while elder 
is an official role of leadership in the church. And so he names these spiritual gifts that are given to the church. We see in 1 Timothy 3 and also Titus 1 that Timothy was asked to do the work of an evangelist, even though he may have lacked that gift. The elders are required to teach. We see that in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2, that elders are, at, are to be actively shepherding the church or pastoring the church. This is why having plurality is so vital within the eldership. Because although all elders are required to teach, there might be some elders that are stronger in the gift than others. But they are still all required to teach. The elders are required to shepherd the flock, and some elders may have a different way of approaching the flock and how they shepherd the flock. And so, see, when you have plurality, it really gives us a, some good tools in our hands because then we can really shepherd and we can really do what we're, what we're supposed to be doing. The elders as well, I want you to understand this, the elders as well are sheep. We're sheep just like you. The only difference is we are examples. We're supposed to be examples to the flock. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And so guess what? I as a sheep need to be taught as well. I, as a sheep, need to be pastored as well. Who's pastoring me? Who's shepherding me? Who? Could it be that there are some in here that have the spiritual gift that are not an elder that could be shepherding and could be teaching me as well? Yes, a thousand times yes. We all need it, right? None of us elders in here are, are higher or above anybody else, right? We all need the teaching. We all need uh, that shepherding. Let me give you a few concluding uh, thoughts about this point. When thinking about these gifts here, this is why I personally see a danger in having only professionally trained people leading the church, meaning people who went to Bible college or seminary, okay? So here's some concluding thoughts about this. Number one, all these gifts are given to the church to equip the body. Secondly, none of these gifts are above the other gifts. In other words, if a person has the gift of teaching or a person has the gift of shepherding, that does not mean that he is more important than the person that may have the gift of mercy because all the gifts are needed. Can you name me one part of your body that's more important than the other? You need them all, don't you? If you want to function correctly, you need them all. Now, one may be more prominent in a, in a place that might be more visible, but isn't that what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians? That there are some parts of the body that they're comely parts and they need to be covered, right? But they're still important. So it's real important to understand that, that none of these gifts are above the other gifts. Thirdly, none of these gifts are above Scripture. They must bow to the authority of Scripture. So those that are, have been gifted a certain way in this manner, whether it be the gift of apostleship or prophecy or evangelism or shepherding or teaching, they all must bow to the authority of Scripture. So what is the purpose of these gifts? Here it is, secondly. Christ has given some certain gifts to equip you for the work of ministry. 
Look what he says here, verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. Now, this verse in verse 12, along with verse 16, as we talked about the, the verse the, about it being built up, maturing, right? It builds itself up in love, gives a good understanding about the equipping process. The task of those with these gifts is to equip the saints so that the saints may do the work of the ministry. Now, not to say that those with these gifts are not engaged in the work of the ministry, because remember, if you have those that are in the church and they are being examples to the flock, what should they be doing as well? They should be doing the work of the ministry as well. They're supposed to be examples, right? So it's not to say that they're not engaged, but it's, what we're saying here is those that with these particular gifts are supposed to be equipping you to actually do the work of the ministry. And they're not supposed to do all the work by themselves. There's an ongoing misunderstanding that only the professionals can do the work of the ministry. But not according to what Paul writes here. So those with these spiritual gifts are to equip the entire body to work in accordance with their various spiritual gifts that are mentioned. We find in Romans 12 and also 1 Corinthians 12. And so if you know Christ and you are a follower of Jesus, then you are in the ministry. You are part of the ministry. That's what you're supposed to be doing, right? You're not supposed to just show up, right, on Sunday morning and sit and soak and sour, right? You're supposed to be part of the building up of the body of Christ. It's part of the ministry that we're all called to do. So what is your ministry? Paul tells us to build up the body of Christ, that's your ministry. That's my ministry, right? We're all supposed to be building up the body of Christ. And we'll get to that here in just a moment of what that actually means. But I want you to understand that basically, in order for you to do the ministry of building up the body, you need equipping. So what does equipping means? Well, equip means to making someone adequate or sufficient for something or some purpose equip. We find in Matthew 4.21 gives us a good view of this. Listen to what it says here. And going on from there, he, Jesus, saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending, the word is equip, mending their nets, and he called them. And so the purpose of the mending of the nets was to fix them. Sometimes they would get torn, sometimes they would get caught on things or be entangled, and they needed to be mended or equipped. If the nets were not mended, they would be useless in their purpose. And so what we're trying to learn here about these purpose of these spiritual gifts is those that have these certain spiritual gifts that are centered around the Word of God, he says they are given so that they might equip Whip you. Think about that. What's broken in your life? What needs fixing? What things in your life have been entangled? What things have been getting caught up on certain things? The word of God is there to equip you, to mend you, so that you might be useful in the purpose of ministry, so that you might be able to build up the body of Christ. First Thessalonians 3.10 says, As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you, face-to-face, -face and supply what is lacking. The word there, equip, 
you in your faith. This term was also used to describe restoring a dislocated limb or of setting broken bones in place or to supplying something that is lacking. So it's quite difficult to use your whole body if you have a dislocated limb or broken bone. So it needs to be mended, it needs to be equipped. If I was missing a particular body part or had a serious problem of a broken bone, I would have, ha have a hard time performing certain tasks. If I worked in the RV industry, my job was chief screw gun, you know? And my arm suddenly became dislocated. I'm not going to be able to perform that certain task, right? It's got to be mended. It's got to be equipped. It was also used of furnishing a guest room to get it ready for guests. You, know, you think about when sometimes you have people over, you want to get things in the right order and get things where they need to be. You're equipping the room. You're making sure it's ready for those that are coming over. Jesus gives to the church those with spiritual gifts whose job is to repair what is broken and supply what is lacking in the lives of the other believers. And so if you know Christ, then you are personally gifted by Christ with grace and yet you are still in need of fixing and you're lacking something that can only be supplied by being equipped. Some people think that the church is not needed in their life. I can be a Christian without being part of a local church. Well, according to the authority of Paul that was given by him by the resurrected Jesus Christ and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he wrote these words, Paul says you can't. That means God says you can't. No one may say I am gifted and graced by Christ himself. I have no need of being equipped by apostleship or prophetic encouragement or evangelistic training or pastoral nature, nurture or teachers to equip me to do the work of ministry. This text makes it plain that all of us are gifted with a measure of grace and all of us are in some measure lacking. In some way, some form, somehow we need to be equipped in order to do the work of the ministry. And so we need to be mended like those nets. Sometimes we get worn out and ripped apart. Sometimes we get entangled in the world. Sometimes we get discouraged by things that just aren't going right. And so maybe we lose point of view of what we're supposed to be doing and supposed to be ministering to the body and building it up. And so we need to be equipped in order to do so. Sometimes we have dislocated limbs and broken bones and they need to be set in place. Those with these particular gifts are there to equip you so you can do the work of ministry. And all of this happens within the context of the local church. Now I will say, it doesn't necessarily have to happen on Sunday mornings. Any time that you are together with the body of Christ and any time the word of God is being exalted... Anytime somebody is pointing you to the word, anytime somebody is directing you to Christ, right? Guess what's happening? You're being equipped. That's what happens. And so it doesn't have to happen necessarily just on a Sunday. It can happen any other time that there's discipleship going on. Any other time that you're getting together with other believers, right? There's this equipping that is taking place. And so we learned this, that the one proves that you are vitally needed by the church and the other proves that the church is vitally needed by you.
And so as you're equipped, you then can minister to the body using your spiritual gifts and build up the body of Christ. And what does this look like? What does this building of the body look like? Well, it comes in the form of maturity. Let's take here, lastly, be a bodybuilder. Look what he says here, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, the specific question is, why all this ministry? What's the goal? What are we supposed to be doing here at Pleasant Ridge? Are we, as we are equipped by the servant leaders, as they fix us and supply us in ways that help us, this allows us to minister to each other as we build up the body of Christ. You are equipped so you can minister to the body of Christ, and the result or the goal of that will then be maturity. There will be a building up of the body. Now, before I give you four ways that the body is built up through your ministry, I want you to understand that the work of ministry, building up of this body of Christ, is ongoing. It is to last until the end of time. Take note of verse 13. See the word there, until, until. According to God's word, this ministry is a work of service to the body of believers. Now, I won't read all these verses, but you can jot them down here if you want to look them up for yourself, okay? But this is an ongoing work that is happening within the body of Christ. It's, it's continually, right? Now, isn't it interesting that Paul would actually describe the body of Christ, the church, as needing work? It needs work. Not just a little work, but a whole lot of work, because look at, look at again the verse, the word, right? Until, right? It's not complete. It's not finished. Look at the person sitting next to you. You know what you see? A whole lot of work. We all need it, right? I need it. I need a lot of work, right? And so God is doing an amazing thing when he brings the body of Christ together. There's an equipping process, and as we are equipped, we are working together to mature the body, to build up the body of Christ. And so, as you're equipped, then God uses your specific spiritual gift to be able to minister to the body. Because remember, you're lacking something. You need something, right? Maybe you have the gift of mercy, but yet you really are not very tactful in how you handle it. Well, guess what? You need to be equipped in how to do that, right? That's what takes place, okay? So let that sink in. Right? We, we will keep doing this, right? keep equipping, and this, this will help us keep being from being, becoming discouraged when we realize how imperfect the church is. Right? Church is messy, it's not yet glorified, it's filled with broken people who are lacking and need equipping. The church needs maturity, we all need maturity. So let me give you four ways that the body of Christ is built up. Here they are, number one, we are built up by growth, built up by growth. We see this in Colossians 1.28, Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Paul talks about the idea that we were able to present every man mature in Jesus Christ, right? There's this, there's this uh, growing up. And when we talk about growth, right, sometimes the things that we tend to think of is, you know, boy, if, if a certain congregation of people has a lot of people, then that must mean that they're doing something right. <clears throat> Not necessarily, right? I mean, how many followers did Jesus have, right? 
He had a lot, but then when he told them the truth, guess what? A lot of them went away, right? Um, and even at the very end of Jesus' life there, it says that they all forsook him, right? So it's important to understand that just because when we talk about growth, growth is not always in numerical form, right? What you see throughout Scripture is this spiritual growth, right? And that's what we ought to be after, spiritual growth, growing deeper in Christ, knowing him better, right? Growing in maturity, growing in our understanding of the faith. Um, and so there's this build, building up of growth. And so the members grow spiritually. Um, let's look here, another one here. Built up by attaining unity and knowing Jesus better. Now, in this verse here, because he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, measure the stature of the fullness of Christ, right? Grammatically, there are three phrases here. Attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God is the first phrase. Attain to a mature man is the second phrase. And then attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ is the third phrase. And that word attain is used nine times in the book of Acts to refer to travelers arriving at their destination. So each of these phrases involves a process that results in a goal. What is the goal? The building up of the body of Christ, and we will attain that goal perfectly when Christ returns. It is something that we should aim at, something that we should strive for. And so Paul's talking here about a unity in the faith. What is the unity of the faith? Well, we get a good understanding of that. Paul's talking about that in Ephesians 4. The unity of the faith is the essential truths of the Christian doctrine. These are, not, these are non-negotiable, right? These are things that we don't waver on. These are things that we all agree on and we attain in the unity of the faith, right? And there's some things that we disagree on. Those are non-essentials, right? We're not supposed to make it about those. We make it about the essentials, right? That we attain in the unity of the faith. And so I believe the more that you understand of God's word, the closer you will experience the unity with other believers that know the word well. And so as you are equipped, right, this is all that's taking place, the maturing process where we're growing in our understanding of what God's word says, and we are growing closer together, right? The unity is a part of that. But it's not just in having this doctrinal unity. It goes further than that. Paul says the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And so Paul now is emphasizing the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God. Jesus who was sent to this earth by the Father to secure our salvation, right? Paul is not just talking about an academic ability to recite various doctrines about Christ. Rather, he is talking about knowing the Son of God in an intimate, personal way. As we come to know Christ more deeply, we will experience a closer unity in Christ, which is Paul's point here. And as the equipping is taking place, it should drive you to want to know more about Christ. It should drive you to the scriptures. It should give you a hunger and thirst to know Jesus more and more. And that's what takes place when we're equipped. Then we are built up to a mature man. It brings Paul's uses the singular word here for full-grown male in Ephesians 2.15 uh, Paul talks about the one new man, right? This one new man, but uh, there's both Jew and Gentile that have come into the church, and he builds it up as one new man. Um, and so he, he gives this idea that, that, the, that the church is supposed to be mature, that we're growing in such a way that we're growing up to maturity. 
You know, uh, those of you that have children or have had children, um, you know this. There are certain things that your children cannot do, right? Because they're not mature enough. Uh, I was mowing the other day, and uh, Evelyn came out. And she said, hey, can, can we take the tractor and go over to the river? And sometimes we just drive the tractor over to the river. And uh, she gets a kick out of that because I let her steer, right? Well, her legs have gotten longer. So I said, do you want to press the pedals? Yeah. Right? So she pressed the pedal. And she couldn't really reach them, so she was kind of like propped up like on me like this. Like she could barely see over the tractor. And she was like, had her foot way down there, you know, pressing the pedal. And like she's probably pressing, oh, man, oh, you know, and it's, you know, jerking us around and everything. But she's matured a little bit more now. She can do some certain things. Now, I'm not going to let her drive a car, right? Because she's not mature enough. Um, but there's a maturing process that takes place. And Paul actually contrasts this later on in verse 14 because he says, no longer being children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, right? So there's supposed to be a maturity in the church. We're supposed to grow into maturity. And all that takes place as we are equipped and as we are ministering to the body of Christ, the body of Christ is being built up. Let me give you a good example of this. It'd be kind of like this. Let's just say that as we are being equipped, and I'm using my spiritual gift, maybe I'm now starting to be challenged a little bit more in speaking truth into people's life because maybe, the, maybe God has gifted me with the gift of prophecy, okay? And maybe I haven't been very tactful. Maybe I come down too hard on people and say, what's wrong with you? you don't you know that you ought to be doing that? You know, whatever. It, who knows, right? And I'm not very tactful. And, and maybe I'm now being equipped in how to approach people in a more loving way, speaking the truth in love, right? And so now I go to that brother and I see some things that are not correct in their life. And now I can go and I can speak to them with authority and I can speak to them in love. Now, what does that do? That brings maturity in the body because now I'm helping another brother actually mature in the body of Christ. And all of this takes place within the context of the local church. Okay? As you use your gift, as you are equipped, you are ministering so that we all can grow into mature manhood. Here's the last one. We are built up to the fullness of Christ. Built up to the fullness of Christ. Now, stature here may refer either to age or physical stature, right, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, but it speaks figuratively of maturity. The measure of spiritual maturity is nothing less than the fullness of Jesus Christ, who is the very fullness of God. Colossians 1.19, for in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2.9, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So in other words, until we grow in Christ's likeness, does Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship look like Christ? Have we attained to the maturity, the full stature of Christ yet? No, there's a lot of work to be done. That's what we ought to be striving for, right? To be like Jesus so that we might attain that full stature and measure of Christ. The goal is that the church would grow to complete Christ-likeness so that when the world looks at us, it gets a glimpse of the Savior. So what does this mean for you? What does this mean for us at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship? 
there's lots and lots of work to be done. You have to do your part in the ministry. You have to use your spiritual gift as you are being equipped and actually use it in the body of Christ so that you might build up the church, so it might grow in maturity. So take advantage of the different opportunities for being equipped with God's Word, both on Sundays, throughout the week. As you grow in the faith and apply the Word to your own life, look for ways to impart God's truth to others as well. For those of you that are mature in your faith and you are using your spiritual gifts to edify the body of Christ, continue to do so. Don't grow weary, right? Until, right? Until we attain that, that, uh, that point there. Now, my concern is for those who are here that are not involved in helping the body of Christ grow. And I'm not saying that uh, ways that we help the body of Christ grow is you have to do a particular service type thing. You know, you got to be involved in this, you got to be involved in that. I'm saying that there are so many ways that we can be involved in helping the body of Christ mature and grow. There are things that people do in this church that I don't even know about. But you are, you are serving in some way. And I say to those that aren't serving in some way, using your spiritual gift, start using it. Look for opportunities how you can do that. Okay? Best place to start is the, is the directory. Right? Start going through the directory. Start praying for the individuals in the directory. Lord, how can I help certain individuals here in the body of Christ grow using my spiritual gift? And the Lord, I believe, will answer that prayer for you. Okay? Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.